0: Hey everybody, is Mike Burkholder with Contra Costa News, a podcast for the people and businesses of Contra Costa County. I'm here with Marisol Rubio, candidate for State Senate District 9 and San Ramon City Councilwoman. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much. How are you? Thank you for having me, by the way.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. I, I'm actually excited for this interview because I, I don't think I've met you yet. And everything I've read about you... You know, in articles or just online, it's like, we don't get like little one-liners. We get like six paragraphs. Yeah. So t- today I wanted to kind of just get to know you, and I wanted sure. my audience to get to know you. Contra Costa, Alameda County. I think it's it's really kind of nice that we could do an interview and not deep dive into a lot of issues, yeah. but um, because you guys are going to be in a runoff regardless. Sure. There's yeah. two of you. Mm-hmm. So... um I know you. You were also on the uh, Dublin San Ramon Water Sewage District as well.
1: Uh, yes, we were. I was uh, a vice president and director of the Dublin San Ramon Services District. I put the water in there just because it doesn't have the word water, and most people, well, they they're like wondering what that is. So uh, we di- we handle both uh, drinking water and recycled water and those types of uh, services.
0: That's a very underrated issue.
1: It really is. <laughs>
0: that we could go into a whole rant on water storage versus the delta, but for now, uh, give a quick spiel about who you are and what you're all about.
1: Okay. Well, um, so. I, I tell everybody I never plan to go into politics. So I, to this day, people say, are a politician? I'm like, I'm not a politician. I refuse to acknowledge that. And, well, I don't say it like it's a bad thing. It's just that I think why I came into this space was a very personal one. And, um, you know, having been raised by a mom, a single mom who was an immigrant to this country and um, – Raised three girls on our own, but was fortunate enough that they were offering college scholarships that enabled her to go to college and get her degree in education, both her BA and her master's, um, but still couldn't even afford, with a master's degree in education, to pay for everything that we needed. And um, which really put my sisters and I very early on in a kind of a precarious situation where we were, you know going to high school and, um, as early as 12 years old working and holding jobs. And what were
0: you doing at 12?
1: I worked at Dunkin Donuts. Nice. Yeah. They I had was, the best Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I like, they were very sweet. It was a great place. And, but I learned early on to work really hard for everything. And I, to appreciate, our, you know, what, what we have. And I think that, um, you know, those early struggles, even in high school, I was holding a Monday through Friday job and then a weekend job, but I also had swimming classes. I was on the swim team. And so I think, you know, um, that work ethic, that perseverance really carried over when I and had my daughter and unfortunately at 13 months old, she was diagnosed with cancer, um, brain cancer. And at the time had initially, th- the doctors thought it was a benign tumor and and she had hydrocephalus as well, so she, which kept reoccurring, so eventually she had to get a shunt placed, um, you know. And we spent, uh, you know, for seven months just struggling with doctors at a top ten pediatric hospital, um, with them not, you know, really figuring out um, what was going on in terms of why she kept regressing despite having 95 percent of this tumor taken out at the time I did not have my degree yet in science health science and uh, neurobiology had you
0: started at that point the whole like medical thing get you to start
1: no I had started some like at a community college Got some it. classes but but the thing is is that um, you know the so, when obviously when she became very sick, you know, early on, there were some signs early on, as early as three months old, that she was something her developmental milestones were not being met. And so, I had about 20 pediatric visits just between her third or three months on to the one, 13 month of age period when they finally diagnosed her correctly. And they weren't figuring it out. And the only reason it was figured out was because her regular. Pediat- pediatrician went on vacation and his colleague looked at her, a stack of visits and just said you know you need you need to take her straight to the emergency room something's wrong Some, this little girl's very sick but you
0: knew it all along
1: I did I just needed that for ref- somebody to say we re- acknowledge it because we had done a month beforehand um, uh, you know I had requested a uh, neuropsych, a neuro, um, neuro, neurology appointment to get some more, uh, insight into what was going on. But even after the neuro- neurologist looked at her, they still didn't, even she, ha- she didn't have a parachute reflex, other responses that she should have had, which would have been indicative right away that there was something neurological going on. But even 30 days later, it took them another 30 days before they could finally realize, you know, um, only because her regular pediatrician had gone on vacation was the, this other doctor looked at this, all the, all the visits, all the complaints and what the report said from the neurologist and said, you know, made the conclusion she needs to be taken to the hospital, being admitted for a full evaluation.
0: And I, and I hear this all the time from parents that have special needs or disability and just the amount of, I don't want to call it fighting. Maybe advocating is the better word. Why does it take so much just to get something done in the medical field?
1: Well, there's a few things I think. Initially, in my situation, speaking from my personal experience, I think that they're just the the observations of parents are, aren't, especially you know, they see someone who's a fairly you know, I'm you know, a single mom at the time. I'm a Latina. And I think there might have been some implicit bias in there that maybe they just didn't really take seriously what I had to say. Um, I don't know that for sure, but it came across that way. Um, But How would that make you feel? um, At the time, I didn't really – I just wanted to save my daughter's life. I just knew that she was dying, and I didn't want to let her die. I mean, I think every parent knows – that at the end of the day, we don't ever want to see our children go, especially before us. No. Absolutely not. Um, So, um, you know, I I was doing everything possible just to fight for her life is what it was about. It was a survival issue. Um, And, you know, I think they just didn't give credence to what I, what my observations were, what I was seeing day in, day out. And so um, I think at the end, you know, Fortunately, medical schools have made a pivot now to focusing more on psychosocial sort of training as part of their medical field training, which is really important because they, they encounter everyone from every background. And so it's extremely important for them to be very conscientious and intentional about the work they do. And I think, you know, and actually for about 16 years I was a lecture guest lecturer at Samuel Merritt College for a program that was uh, FACES medical program pre-medical program and what it was is for a lot of these kids who uh, young people who are going either just starting or going into the medical field and I talked about my experience with my daughter my daughter eventually joined me and she got a little older but we talked to them about really the systemic problems that we encountered um, in the in the hospital for almost two years being in inpatient shy of 30 days and so um you know even after they had diagnosed her finally diagnosed her with the uh, you know that she they had found the tumor which was about the size of a golf ball and i remember at the neurosurgeon telling me that uh, you know a tumor of that size in an adult would not be alive
0: did you get to throw that tumor back at your doctor no i mean if it's the size of a golf ball i mean he- knock some scent into him yeah
1: yeah I, I you know not that I, I'm trying I, to make a joke but no, some doctors no. just don't get it no and, and and he was historically known for constantly always saying you know he even was on the news once talking about ear infections and he kept diagnosing her with ear infections ear infections ear infections I'm like it's not an ear it's <sighs> not and so um and it just uh I think sometimes what happens is that uh, physicians may get stuck in a way of thinking about things and going about it. And sometimes you may not look, step back and look at the whole picture. And so that's really important to do that
0: in anything we do. All right. So let me ask you this. So here you are, what, 20 years later, 15 years?
1: Yeah, so more than that. 20, whatever
0: years (laughs) later. You look back. What is the biggest lesson you learned in that whole process of just advocating?
1: Well, you know, I think what I learned was, you know, one is that, you know, we, we have to step up. You know, we have to create opportunity for families to be by their loved ones in their time of need. Family medical leave is essential. If I had not been there, I can tell you, even after they diagnosed her, even after they resected 95% of the tumor, she was still regressing for seven more months. And they discharged her as saying there was nothing more they could do for her. They didn't know what was wrong with her. And they just sent her home. She can For four days, she was home continue to have febrile seizures, which are basically fevers, really high-grade fevers that cause end up causing these seizures. And I was bringing her to the emergency room day after day, but fortunately I had already had a conversation, uh, a, ready, a backup plan, because I knew they were going to discharge her. And so without figuring out what was wrong, essentially sending her off to a death sentence, Yeah. Um, and I said, so I had a backup, and I called Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Maryland, and was fortunate enough to get a nurse surgeon on call. In uh, the course of maybe 15 minutes at most, I gave her the rundown of what had happened the past seven months. She gave me instructions, told me to you know ask for a shunt tap, uh, not to give her the tyno- Tylenol or any fever-reducing agents, because Thimble she basically blood. told me at this point they just don't believe you. They think you're like I'm being paranoid, Um. and so I brought I followed her instructions. Had a race over to the ER and asked for the shunt taps. By eight o'clock in the morning the next day, they had, of course, in the cytology they did of the central nervous system, the CNS fluid, um, they figured out that it had in fact metastasized throughout her CNS. So she was actively dying under the care of very, very highly skilled physicians and
0: what people don't understand about this whole process is that your life is on hold while you're taking trying to take care and get down to some solutions yeah and so it consumes you and you're going through scenarios in your head and, and it's just insanity what emotionally you go through right looking back and even today like just how many people have you been able to help through your experience
1: well, you know, I think, like, you know, I am a disability advocate. And, you know, part of the reason I got involved with Femme Truth Youth was because of endometriosis. A lot of women do suffer in silence. Um, but I also am a founding executive board member of the Natalie Project, which is really is a fund that advocates for um, individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities, in a group of uh, individuals who honestly have experienced an insurmountable amount of abuse, all types of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, at rates that are far greater than the general population. Um, and, you know, it, it was an area where the founder, again, it was a personal experience. Her sister was a victim of sexual uh, abuse uh, in under the in a daycare. Um, and so... This is something that, to me, I just, you know, these are people who are completely innocent and they have no other recourse, but, and the families are trying to stay afloat. Sure. And they're trying, you know, you can't be there for somebody 100% and yet, and still be able to provide. How do you do those two things at one time? And this is where, like, I think the in-home supportive services are so important because, it is a much more affordable path for providing care for individuals who do need in-home care, and it actually provides a $58 billion annual savings to the state of California rather than putting in them in institutionalized care. And so here you have a situation, but, but the problem is, is that the state of California, you know, the, the counties, this is county, their wages are dependent on the county and the counties are paying them well below a living wage. Sure. And so many of these family members are struggling. They're not able to make ends meet and it's it's a situation so many of the home care providers have just stopped working. We actually have a shortage of home care providers right now and we have a silver wave that's underway. How are we going to meet it's that not demand? Or, it's not
0: underway. It's happening. It's,
1: it's happening. Exactly. I mean, and you go, so, and
0: then you get into the senior argument of not enough beds, let alone disability. And, and I mean,
1: it's just a mess. It's it is a mess. And the thing is, is that we just, you know, when they're providing that much of a savings to the state, somebody should really be taking some of those savings and reappropriating it back to making sure these home care providers can continue to do their work.
0: It's essential work that saves lives every day. Yeah. And now we get to go into a deficit. And so <laughs> I promise we'll, we'll get into some more fun stuff other than the budget. But, you know, you obviously have a lot of wants and needs that you want to accomplish should you be elected. Um, how do you get to achieve any of that with the amount of cuts that are going to have to happen?
1: I think that is it's going to be at least a couple of years of r- a really, really sixty-eight billion dollar deficit is what we're looking at, and and well, the number keeps shifting. Just sixty-eight so you
0: know. to seventy-three, whatever, yeah, exactly. whichever, whichever story you <laughs> look at, you're
1: looking at. But we have a relative sense that it's obviously a very steep, steep, steep hill to look at, and um, you know, also what resources we might be able to tap into to help offset that deficit is dependent on whether the governor calls an emergency on the budget. Um, because obviously if he does, it opens up access to Prop 2, Prop 98, which is probably not a good place to go because actually I would, I would stay away from Prop 98 as some and a place to touch because our schools are already struggling. Um, I know I've been to the Mount Diablo school district and you know, they're, they, they, even like on services like school psychologists they only have one and she only is present twice a week and so how are if with a 600 plus student body how can one person there only twice a week actually address the needs of our young people and that connects to a whole bunch of other things so what i'm starting to see is that you know we do have a lot of programs But are the programs as somebody who went raised a child with lifelong disabilities, I can tell you I've been given stacks of programs that were about almost two inches thick.
0: Which are all getting money.
1: Yes. (laughs) And telling me, hey, here, call them and figure, you know, every most of them that when I'd call extremely long wait lists, some of them she just outgrew. She outaged the the ability to get the help. So even while
0: you're waiting, she ages out. She ages out. That's crazy.
1: So then, so then the thing is, well, what good is a program that you can't access? And so um, I think that what we have to start to really, we have to re-examine how we're doing things and be more efficient about it. I think there's a lot of inefficiency systemically. I think people aren't talking to each other and really figuring out what are the best practices as it pertains to healthcare. what is, as it pertains to even, um, you know, how can we support our kids? My daughter being, for example, in school, you know, she had a, a... You know, she's gone through several neuropsychological evaluations because of, you know, um, her needs in school. She has acquired learning disabilities from her primary disease, which was a cancer. And so. um, See, I think
0: I think they sorry to cut you off. I think they could fix the budget if they remove the problem profiteers Mm -hmm. from the state.
1: Right.
0: Because there are so many people advocating to keep the problem going because then they're out of a job. Yeah. And homelessness is no greater example to that. Yeah, I mean, that's insane amount of money that they have spent on homeless. And I know I'm jumping issues here, but (laughs) you just take the San Francisco issue when they wanted to clean up the city when China came. Mm -hmm. They cleaned it up. They could do it if they really wanted to, just like they could solve the problem with senior services, disability services, medical services. I mean, hell, unemployment. Right. Lose billions of dollars in that thing.
1: Yeah, I mean unemployment <laughs> went up actually in the last year, or so it went up from three point eight to four point eight. So, and that was also contributing part to part of our revenue revenues. The total income that was, you know, came in. The problem was, is they a firm confirmed a budget yep. obviously before they even knew what the revenues the year before were going to be because uh, some of the businesses people were filing late the year yep. preceding year, and so. Um, the other part of it was that, that, again, that total income was down by about 25%. That's a big, big, big drop. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, and, but what that is also telling me is, is that, you know, we have this volatile, part of the volatility, I think in the, uh, in, in the economy is because we do lack a middle class we need to bring back a middle-class find a way to create a much more robust that's that you know, um, center. They're the ones who are really kept at our economy, stabilized and healthy. And right now I think we just have two extremes. We've lost that middle part of the economy that really kept us, um, you know, stabilized our, our revenues and kept us able to fund a lot of these things. And
0: so, um, Well, we've also become a country of extremes, one side or the other. There's really no middle ground on anything.
1: Well, I think especially serving in San Ramon, I can tell you I I serve with, you know, three uh, fellow council members who are Republican. And, you know, honestly, at the end of the day... um, whether you have a D or an R behind you, it doesn't matter. I, I haven't had that experience. And when I was on the water board, I served with people who were Republican as well. It's never been a problem to get work done. I think you have to show good faith is the most important thing. I think you have to look at facts, not, you know... Um, the media. The media. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what, you know, I, I try to tell people, you know, there's a reason I, I have uh, so been very selective about trying to stay away from really taking uh, a lot of money from, 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 especially certain special interests that I f- if I feel it's going to hurt our, the, you know, our children, if I feel it's going to hurt fence line communities, if I feel it's going to hurt certain people, or I want to be able to represent the people first. And foremost.
0: But just because you take money doesn't mean you have to vote that way.
1: It, they, people will tell you that, but I can tell you, for example, my opponent takes a lot of oil money, sure. and he missed over 30 votes.
0: Well, he's, he's known to and miss on a the lot envirom-
1: of votes. On the environmental issues, I will say,
0: I will say I agree with you that I think Grayson's missed way too many votes for his own good.
1: 150 and, last and year. And
0: that's insane. Yeah. Like, dude, you're not in the hospital sick. How are you missing these votes or you just don't want to be have it used against you later? Do you like these A-plus scorecards you get? But you're not voting. Exactly. It's a way
1: of avoiding being held accountable, but we all know that an, a missed vote is a no vote.
0: And I, I'm going to go back to just more of your district as a whole because you go basically Antioch, Brentwood, Concord, San Ramon, Pittsburgh, Martinez, Pleasant Hill. Then you go down into Castro Valley, San Leandro, San Lorenzo, and I know I'm missing a lot of cities, but it's a long list. Very diverse. Bunch of different needs based on the area you're in. Right. So how does somebody in San Ramon with a social economic amazingness, great schools, how do you relate to everybody in this diverse district?
1: Well, I think what's really nice about my experience is that I do have a very complex background coming here. Um, I, you know, but I'm also a testament to what, you know, um, if, if given just enough opportunities and people take, you know, are able to get access to those opportunities, what can happen, you know? I'm not going to lie to anybody. I had to go to school when I was going to college and I finished my degree uh, in molecular cell biology with an emphasis in neurobiology. I just happened to pick one of the top three hardest majors in the university.
0: About 90% of the people listening to this won't even know what that is. I know. And I don't even know what it is.
1: It was then the top number one public school in the (laughs) country. Um, you know, a little difficult. Um,
0: so but I, are you a science nerd?
1: I love science. Yeah. And I that's why I think it, the science drives the way I think about things and how I address problems. I never, um, you know, I, I try to look at information just from the data. I don't want, even when I'm asking questions of people, I never give sort of the leading question. I just ask, I want to know this piece of data, can give it to me. And I put together an understanding of what I what it is that I'm trying to solve based on the data. It, well I think, I think you've lived
0: a lot of it though. Because I have. because I go back to your mom immigrated here, correct? Yeah. And what was that like just she came here and she was working and maybe you guys went without with a lot of things growing up. And yeah. that experience like so then I, I go look at this whole Bay Area, your district, and that's where I think you could relate to A lot of these communities now you've worked your way through college. You've advocated, you've been elected. Um, It's kind of like you're all over the map on experience.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is. And I
0: just totally paraphrasing.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that that's what's the I think, you know, um, really sort of and uh, not to toot my own horn, but I guess the beauty of it, you know, is that I can say, tell, be able to relate to so many people and understand, say, I get it, I get what matters to you, um, you know, Those the people who are still struggling today and who are going through the very things I went through, I understand. I understand what the barriers are. Like when I talked about the programs being inaccessible, we need to relook at that. How do we make more efficient programs and make it more accessible so that parents aren't bogged down with a two-inch pack of papers that they don't have time to get through? You know, when you're caring for somebody all day with disabilities, still working in some cases, and, you know... um, it's too much. It's too much for anybody. And so um, we need to find ways to create more support. And one of the things I have talked about a great deal is trying to have um, healthcare managers that will actually help families to be able to manage all of these things and sift through it so that the parents are able, better enabled, not only to care for their loved one, but if they need to work, they they are saving time and able to go out and work and do these other things. Other things that happen that a lot of people don't realize is before and after school programs. That's not only really important for at-risk youth, but it's also really important for families who have children with high needs. Um, And unfortunately... Um, families that have children with disabilities, certain disabilities, are especially excluded from these programs because of the liability behind it.
0: So I think the state screwed that whole issue up with after-school programs. A lot of cities have screwed that up. Uh, I can't think of any greater example than Antioch that just forgot about youth, apparently, even though they advocated Measure W on that. Um, Pittsburgh's been uh, doing a good job bringing it back. Um, Mount Diablo, Unified Definitely needs to get some after-school stuff going. Yeah. Um, but even the county board of supervisors haven't really taken up the issue, which it really bothers me.
1: It is really important. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, as somebody, like I said, I mean, here I was working and doing after-school activities, doing gymnastics and basketball and swimming and, you know, as a, a tiny, as a young person, you know. Um, what
0: was your best stroke?
1: Um, actually it was the breaststroke. Okay. hmm So, um, uh, but you know, what I, th- what I think is, um, kind of interesting is that I think it was those programs for me growing up and my sister's. That really taught us a lot of important skills. These programs are important not only to uh, sort of help focus our young people's passion and drive, but foster it and help them learn essential skills that are important for them in the long run. If they don't have opportunities or access to those programs, it, it just creates a, you know, it's, it's 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 lost human capital. It's a a lost opportunity to really get our young people. Uh, you know, prepared for tomorrow. See, and, and I
0: and I want to piggyback on that because you say on your website, you know, dealing with your daughter's doctors and being more realistic with her care. What do you think of the word realistic at this point when everyone says you got to be realistic with the budget, you got to be realistic with after-school programs, you got to be realistic with what works? I mean, what does that word do to you?
1: <laughs> I think that it what... W- Anything is possible if we set our minds to do it. I mean, I think for the most part, I think that's true. Not always. I mean, obviously, certain people have exceptional circumstances, so I do understand that. But I do believe that, you know, um, for the most part, anything's possible. If there's a will to do it, if our legislators have a will to do something, it's doable. The problem is is I don't think we have enough of them that have are committed to doing what needs to be done. I think many, oftentimes, um, they're caught up worrying about their next election, um, where the money's going to come from, and they're not thinking about the people. Uh, sometimes, you know, we do have, a, it's not all, it's just some, but it's just enough to keep us from getting where we need to get to.
0: Well, I think a lot of the leadership, too, defers to some of these bigger city uh, electeds. Like, why are we taking a lot of Scott Wieners, and this is just my personal opinion, not yours, because I think we're going to differ on this, but taking a lot of Scott Wieners housing legislation and applying it to cities that don't really want a lot of housing or have a lot of open space that is intentionally open space.
1: Yeah, well, I think that my my opinion in general on housing is, of course, we all have to do our our part to help all of California be sufficiently housed. Um, But I think what has happened in some areas is there hasn't been um, enough funding coming from the state to help those cities that are struggling, where affordable housing is particularly expensive. And, um, you know, I think that right now, well... You know, it depends. There's going to be, um, you know, Prop 1 is a possible source that might help with this funding um, as long as it's they keep it dedicated to housing, affordable housing. The lotto. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just keep it affordable housing. As long as it stays, you know, dedicated to that and it's not touched, we, it can help. Um, and so I think the... Um, And then um, I think the other problem is is that there's also geographical issues that we have to contend with. I think that... Um, some are smaller cities that have different issues, or even, like you said, there may be other uh, farming, agricultural concerns, and things that we all have to think about. And I think that part of the uh, what hasn't been incorporated in some of the legislation has been uh, creating paths, opportunities for cities to work, have a two-way communication with the state so that the state can play a more supportive role in the process of all of California meeting the housing needs that we clearly have, and especially unaffordable housing. And I think the issue of affordable housing, as I mentioned earlier, is it's a combination that, you know, um, we have, you know, the budget, you know, I was reviewing on the, the, uh, the legislative offices budget review on this. And another problem that contributed to us on having having low revenues on income tax is the fact that wages are stagnant, sure. despite adjusting for inflation, and it's expected to be stagnant into next year. And so what this is the repetitive problem that I see is that we are not being creative in thinking about how do we build middle class jobs again that provide enable people to have the mu- buying power to be to be homeowners. Even if it's a condo, it's better to have a condo than to be eternally. I a I renter. agree with you there, and you I know?
0: and I I totally agree with you there. I also think it's fine if you want to start building thousand square foot houses again. Like why can't we do that? Why does everything need to be three thousand square feet? But I. I really got this idea in my head after I, I did a podcast with uh, Christopher Cabaldon, who's running for state uh, Senate District 3. Smart guy. And I, and I didn't really think about it till after the podcast. I listened to it a couple times just because mm-hmm. I always want to be better at the next podcast from the first. And he said something about a lot of these bills have these exemptions in it for funding for, um, you got to be near transit, mass transit. We got to do this. We got to do that. So it disqualifies a lot of these smaller communities. And I'm just thinking after that, holy crap, Scott Weiner is a genius because all he's doing is ensuring tax revenue go into his city while he's getting other people's money from across the state. I'm like, the guy's a genius. So how do we get state senators that will say, "Hey, we're not going to rubber stamp this crap anymore. It's going to be evenly distributed throughout the state."
1: Yeah, I think that that's there has to be a way to be able to really assess the needs of those, the distinct needs of every city. We have to have ways of adjusting for that because if we don't these types of things will happen. What if for some reason there is a situation say here, as I was driving up here, there's a lot of open space. (laughs) There may not be transit nearby, but uh, there is an area that can become a mixed use uh, 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 space. Um, We certainly want to create, you know, we don't want to, if we want to build housing and affordable housing, we want to have diversify the type of housing that we're offering. And we certainly do not want to stall uh, the ability to build housing if there is a place where we can do that. But again, um, I think that uh, those needs have to be addressed. And I and I see what you're saying. I mean, I think... Uh, They're clever. These guys yeah, are so see what smart. Yeah, I you You know, and, and that helps certain cities. And, and I know in San Ramon, we don't get a ton of that money either. So,
0: Although, uh, dude, with San Ramon, you guys were clever. Your police department went and got that retail theft grant. That was oh, yeah. awesome. I didn't even know they were doing that. And then it's like, San Ramon just got this $5 million grant. Like, wait, what? Send some of that to our way to Antioch, Walnut Creek, Concord. Like, Pleasant Hill, just put it in Dick's parking lot.
1: Right, <laughs> right. That was something we had to apply for. It was a grant, and we really had to go after that. And many people had to play a part in pushing that through.
0: Um, like, how does San Ramon get it, of all places?
1: <laughs> I... Smart chief. Yeah. I like yeah, your chief. I, like I do like him too. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a good guy. Uh, we're very fortunate to have him. Um, I
0: think that. Um, I like that he's called me out on stuff too.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. I have not been privy to that. <laughs> so I will not speak on what I, I have not been privy to. All right. Uh, so
0: here's my question to you on this. So, uh, because I don't see this talked about a lot with you in crime and, and where you're at with that. Because, I mean, San Ramon is doing a good job. The police department, uh, a little busier than normal, I would say. But where do you stand on Prop 47 and and just retail theft in general?
1: I think that what, you know, the way I look at crime is, is from a two-pronged approach. Um, we talked a little bit about it. Those before and after school programs, it's a prevention side. We have to prevent crime. That's important. We also have to address what the crime that is right now and and address what led to that, all of those things. There's many reasons behind that. And, you know, we have to basically address them as each one for what it is. Um, I think when we talk about uh, our, our, our prevention, those programs are really important making sure our schools are probably properly staffed, that we have sufficient paraeducators. Those are really important. I can tell you for my daughter, they were super important when she's sitting in a classroom of 30 plus students, she has learning disabilities. She needs someone who can sit in the classroom and help break some of this down the way she understands, not 30 plus students who are not facing disability. She is. Um, And so this is important because we don't want our kids to check out because and forget about school and just give up because they're frustrated because they don't have the support they need to succeed. Um, And I think that those psychosocial support services are also essential. Um, Not every child is fortunate enough to have a a stable home, and, you know, they need mentors. They need people who are going to be there and help them, you know, stay on on on, on a positive path. and and, and that will lead to a fruitful life for them. Um, And so uh, that's on the prevention side. That takes investment, and we have to help low-resource communities get money from the state to support those programs. The county also plays a part of it uh, in that, but we have to create opportunities to funnel money to help these low-resource communities so that they can begin to thrive again. Um, The other part of it, um, talking about, crime as it stands right now um i think that you know we have to address what are the causes of crime what are what are the social determinants of uh, poverty and crime and how are those linked um some people um it it it, you know do have mental health issues i think if we're dealing with someone who clearly has a mental health issue um we have to address the mental health issue (laughs) um and that may you know may or may not require a the person to have medical care or not depends. Every situation is different. Um, But if it's um, say somebody who um, has a drug addiction, a drug addiction is a health issue. Again, we have to help them address that part of it and uh, address their addiction so that we get them again, back on the right path. We have to help people rehabilitate essentially. Um, But you know, sometimes there are people who are just committing crime because
0: they can they
1: can and they don't w- they have no concern for the welfare of other people or concern for the law <laughs> and so we have to absolutely hold those people accountable you know i think that um you know anything you know that's what I mean by addressing the situations. We have to look at it for what it is. Is this a health, mental health issue? Is this a drug addiction issue? Or is this just someone who's, you know, I wanting mean, you, to profitize uh, I, on something? I get that.
0: And, but my issue, you keep having these same people that go into a dick sporting good and you're stealing footballs and jerseys. And yeah. it's like, that's a little different than somebody that's right. at a grocery store and going to go grab a tri-tip exactly. and walk out. Exactly. Like I understand, people are hungry. Like, do I like it? No. But I also pisses me off if I'm in line at the grocery store, and you know we're six, seven people deep, all waiting to pay, and then some jackass walks out with a cart full of food. Yeah. Why can't I do that too? I'll be the idiot that they make an example out of. That hey, this guy stole. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that. But see, that's that's what I'm saying. There's a difference, right? I mean, but who gets
0: to decide the difference? Our judges, <laughs>
1: our justice system does. They're, they're doing
0: a bang up job.
1: Though. Yeah, I mean, our justice system is the one who has to address that. And I, you know, I, I think that you know, I, I, agree with you. I don't think that it helps if you know we have to hold people accountable if they are, you know, stealing for the sake of stealing. That's not okay. Yeah. That's against the law, and we need to do that. Um, uh, h- hold them accountable for that. Um, in the absence of the other things that I mentioned. Um, and so. The, uh, but, you know, I also think that what helped in San Ramon, what we got the grant for, was to expand our our ability to, um, the way they've caught the Heller jeweler stores was very important because it taught us about the importance of working interpart- interdepartmentally with other police departments. That was a big part of it Uh,
0: you guys lost your bubble (laughs) yeah we had to
1: work with other police departments uh the cameras that we have um are are were very helpful in tracking where they where they went um and so um you know, I think that we have to be very smart about and efficient about how we do things. You know, for example, in you know in San Ramon, it's a little different. If we have a mental health crisis, you know, we defer somebody to the county. The police stay with the person until the person from the county, somebody from the yeah. county, can come and help. Um, but you know, the thing is, is that I think at the end of the day, the other thing that are you know just looking from what works. Say for example in San Ramon, I know we mentioned yes, it's in an, uh, 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 an affluent city, but not everybody in San Ramon is affluent. No, and so um, so despite all of that, even the people who are not affluent, for the most part, San Ramon's pretty stable. But I think there's contributing factors to that: good schools, uh, we have a lot of programs, we make sure that those programs are affordable and accessible to all. You know, meaning if you have a disability, you're a senior, you're still able to participate. If there's, you know, one of the things I advocated for in San Ramon was not only about um, making it accessible in terms of cost, but sometimes kids want to participate in sports and there's equipment they need. And so when I brought that up is what are we going to do to make sure that they can fully participate? Someone, another person that I, I was talking to at the time was pointing out a great idea. Let's see if our local businesses are willing to fund some of this, and so. But even for our schools, we have an education fund that many businesses, local businesses, pitch into that help fund our schools and keep our programs the way they are, as solvent as they are. Um,
0: I wish more local businesses would participate with the school districts. The businesses have a lot of a a lot of school districts don't even have athletics anymore. Yeah, for middle school, that is.
1: I mean, the thing is, is that it's if you go back you know, 40, 50 years, business was always very closely tied into the uh, investing in the benefit benefits of the community. There was sort of this reciprocity that was understood. I invest in my community, my community invests in me because they will spend, There will become this sort of mutual relationship of trust and goodwill. I don't think that's happening everywhere. And I think that we need to redefine that and how we do that and rebuild those relationships. So how would you, how would
0: you redefine it?
1: I think we need to work with the chambers uh, and talk about, I mean, we have a, you know, talk about how they can become, you know, sort of positive partners on these fronts. How can they uh, be supportive of their communities? Because when the communities are strong, the economy is strong and, that's a plus, a win-win for everybody. Um, I think the other thing that would, um, I wanted to uh, kind of stay on, uh, not forget, that was important about public safety that I, I think has been very helpful in San Ramon and I think is helpful in any community is making sure that law enforcement is very well tied in, in co- constant communication with um, retailers as well as just the community as a whole. Um, I know in San Ramon, I was part of, you know, when there was a break-in, um, the community uh, came together. I was there with my community, um, and um, the chief was there, and they've been in conversations, and I've been staying in touch with them ever since to make sure they want more cameras. We we are there. We're responsive to that. And so what I'm saying is is that we have to open those lines of communication and create a partnership between everyday folks, retailers, and law enforcement.
0: Here, here's a funny story for everybody, all you police chiefs out there. How come you guys never talk about San Ramon and crime? It's like, well, do what Carlson does. Be transparent. Tell people what's going on. Be accessible. I don't got to worry about San Ramon. It handles itself. It's, it's really true, though. Very, very transparent guy. No, oh, the chief. Chief, uh, we have a great chief. Yeah. um, um I, I told him.
1: I said we need to duplicate you somehow. <laughs> um. So um. Yeah. But your the question you had just. So anyway, I kind of digress because I wanted to make sure to cover that because that is in a really integral. No, part it's
0: true. Me. So. Uh, and that's where I think. Where do you in? And I hate to play this question on you, but where do you in and Tim Grayson differ on education?
1: Well I have a neurobiology background so I and I have also the experience of having raised a daughter who was on an IEP and required special uh, uh, was part of uh, needing you know specialized services in her education. I certainly see as somebody like I said, I think I didn't finish the point was that she had a full-scale borderline full-scale IQ and um, I put my degree to work for my daughter in the sense that I was working with her three to four hours a day, five to six days a week, really teaching her everything in the way I she would better understand and learn. And as a result of that work, you know, when she was graduating from high school, she was being told at the time by the school district that she should probably uh, focus, settle for vocational training. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not what she wanted. Um, she wanted to go on to college, and she wanted to study psychology and Spanish. And so you, they told me, they we were literally sitting in an office with her and myself in a meeting, the last meeting before she graduated. And they said, you know, I think, you know, you, know, you should be realistic with her. So that word realistic you said to me, remember? Yeah. They said that to me. And I said, you know, I'm not in the business of setting ceilings. I don't do that. And so I just left, proceeded To get my daughter enrolled, she was in a community college, and now she's at UC Davis, double majoring in psychology and Spanish and doing really, 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 really well. Um, Very nice. For for somebody with a borderline full-scale IQ. And what I'm saying is, is that, we need to relook at how we do everything. We need people who are knowledgeable on these issues. And when you talk about what's the difference between my opponent and I, I actually have a degree on these issues. I actually understand these issues inherently in a way that many of our legislators, we have insufficient amount of legislators who actually understand education how, and who understand public health in a very integral way. And I understand it not only from a personal perspective, but an academic perspective. I also was teaching bilingual science classes, so I was a teacher myself. I've also worked you know, um, you know, as an original research mentor. And so I've done, I understand how to s- look through the information and make good decisions. And those are skills. Skills that you cannot just transfer to someone. Those are skills that were honed over years.
0: And refresh my memory. What was one of the, the programs you guys launched in San Ramon, working with high school students?
1: Um, it's the uh, Cal. Um, uh, I forget the second part of it, but it's Cal. It's with Cal High, and we work. It's only with Cal High. It's a program that we have that we allow uh, young students to work, uh, be part of the, uh, uh, have internships with the city, and they get to work on like they get assigned, sort of with the work with the city manager. And they have, like, programs that they're able to work um, individually that they task them to do. Um, so they get experience on, like, what the cities do and the functions of a city and what's happening. Um but we've evolved since then and grown um, since I was on the city council in San Ramon. I actually uh, was su- able to successfully get through a climate action task force that will be uh, It includes uh, m- many positions. We have a uh, business representation, building trades, young people, a youth voice. Um, we have alternate alternates and at large so that we can have um, San Ramon is very fortunate to have a very high uh population that's in the stem field so and they're very passionate about environmental issues so you know they were really wanting this for three years and i was able to get it in uh get it done in less than a year i started this in june we got it done by january and so um what i'm you know, what the uh, the program will do not only is help inform a climate action plan, the task force will also be chartering um, the uh, sustainability advisory committee that down the road uh, that we will have to confirm at a later date. But I don't, I highly doubt I've already said it. I said it publicly. I, I told my fellow council members, we are not going to put people to charter something. And then in the end, tell them, oops, we're not going to do it. That would be oops. really bad. That would be real, really bad form. And they agreed. They're like, yeah, that would be bad form. Publicly. So what? Are,
0: so what's um, so kind sure. of been the result of this so far?
1: For which one? The climate task force? Yeah. So it's it's going. We're recruiting people right now. Young people, I w- I'm a liaison for the teen council, made the announcement. There are a bunch of the young people's eyes just... Pff, lit up they were excited they're like how can I join does it matter if I'm already in this council that council I was like unfortunately yeah you can only serve on one at a time um but um but for those who are not currently on a council right now you know it's a great opportunity for the people who might be wanting young people who want to go into ecology or certain fields that are have something to do with the environment or and so I think it's a, a great uh, sort of professional development opportunity. It's a, a great leadership opportunity, and um, see, so I can
0: tell that you're more passionate about the whole environment stuff.
1: Well, because I think our health begins with the environment. If we don't have clean air, we don't have clean water. We're not healthy. There's nothing. There's no and if or buts about that. Our water's dirty. We're gonna get sick. Our air's polluted. We're gonna get sick. And you can't be your best. When you're sick. And so, you know. Um, we can't even
0: have a fire, though. I'm sorry? We spare the air, Dave. You can't even have a fire. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that it's we all have to do our part. And that was something that was really interesting because we had some conversation around that. Oh, but, you know, we're just a city. Every If every city did what they could in their capacity to help on the environmental front, we'd have overall Better outcomes.
0: See, that's what, like, cracks me up. And this is more, like, totally philosophical. It has nothing to do with your Senate race at all. But you have California doing all these environmental laws and restrictions. And you shall do this. You shall change the plastic bags. You shall limit your your gas. Um, and then you go over to Nevada. Or leaf blowers, lawnmowers. You could go over to Nevada and bring them on over, right? Or you look at China and in, in India with all the, you know, stuff going into the air. At what point do we just actually get movement on this stuff outside of California?
1: Outside of California. Wow. Because that, Um, and I
0: know that has nothing to do with Senate District 9, but but it's like the environment is so important, right? It is. But if it was, why isn't everyone else kind of coming in on this?
1: Well, they are and they aren't. Some are, some aren't. Um, I think that's kind of the problem. That going back to what I said, I said we have some people who really, you know, want to raise Big the bar. business. Yeah, <laughs> there's some people who want to raise the Stock bar. Stock
0: prices.
1: Yeah, and and but there's also, <laughs> you know, that you know there's there's it, it, absolutely it, there's money to be made, and so the businesses they don't want to give up what the cushy re, you know um, revenues that they're getting right now. Um, but the reality is, is that. Um, you know, I I believe that good policy. If you're going to put forward a mandate, you have you better have planned incorporated in that policy the funding for it, and consider the unique, distinct needs of every city. If as a state senator, and right now, <laughs> um, you know everybody's like, "Wow, you've gotten a lot of endorsements from the community because I'm on the ground." I yeah. do that already as an elected official, but I will do that more, even more expansively because my district will clearly cover many more areas. Well, and I would say this
0: too, when you guys look at everyone's endorsements, like you have to really compare like the machine versus community. Yeah. And And I'll leave it at that. And you all can look at their websites and compare for yourselves.
1: Right. And, and, and there's a reason the community standing behind me is because I'm there. I've been there and it's I'm not just showing up today. I care about these issues w- starting helping to c- start these uh, two foundations no I didn't have to do that. I did it because I care and, and and it's a passion for me. I want people I want I understand how difficult it is to go through those experiences that I went through um, having that health human health science background. I also understand how much, you know, there's inequities even on environmental justice issues. Um, I believe that we could do better, but we have to have people who have the political courage to do the right thing and who are going to fight for it. And the things I have, I I ran on for San Ramon, I have delivered on every single one in my first year.
0: What are you most proud of uh, serving in San Ramon so far?
1: Uh a lot of things. Um, I think, but it's, first I of said, all, I said most, <laughs>
0: not a laundry list.
1: <laughs> I mentioned a couple that were really important. I think giving more, um, bringing not just, you know, a lot of people talk about bringing, um, you know, equity and diversity, not just in, you know, I was the first Latina on the Latino on that city council. We've never had someone. I'm the only woman still on that council. Um, You know, and but at the same time, I didn't let that become a deterrent for me to have high goals and to make something come to fruition that our community wanted for three years and make that happen. I didn't make it to keep it from me advocating for people with disabilities and making sure that, you know, they were able to get access to these programs, not just in funding, meaning cost but actual equipment so they can fully participate but also advocating for more workforce uh, inclusionary affordable housing I recently was able to negotiate during our council meeting we had uh, um, an iron Horse village project by Lennar and I said oh well what the hell do I have to lose you know <laughs> I said I'm gonna go ask for one or two more affordable units and you know um, they agreed to two and it makes a huge difference and 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 I was able and it makes a huge difference This will be a single family home that, for for all intents and purposes, will be affordable in perpetuity to help families be able to come and live in San Ramon and for their children to have equal access to a wonderful education that we have. Um, And so, for me, when I talk about equity, that's what equity is about. It's about making sure everybody has those opportunities. And so, um, do you think Tim
0: uh, Grayson's advocated enough for that?
1: My feeling is that I don't think the communities have felt the impact of his work. Um, And I'll say that because, um, you know, when we were at a recent candidate forum at the NAACP, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, enthusiasm behind his candidacy. And what that tells me is that the community, especially communities of color, are not feeling he's, been attentive and there for us, coming to talk with us and actually meeting us. I mean, while he will say, oh, I started this foundation, this, you know, the justice um, organization, um, that's great. But if it's not, again, goes back to what I was saying, if these organizations are not, you know, if you're, if we're not feeling that impact, we're not actually, our lives aren't improving and you're not making sure that it's, it's doing what it's supposed to do, then we're not. It's, it's pointless.
0: Yeah, I think for me with with Tim is you had a big opportunity to help out Contra Costa County during a, a crazy time with, you know, I don't, I don't want to keep referring to Antioch, but you don't have enough police officers in Antioch. Why in the world are you not being... Um, preventative and, and let's put some CHP let's figure out the sheriff I know Mike Mike Barbanek has talked about that but that should have been even before that was brought up like hey you got all these guys on leave how do we get you guys help and yeah and, how do you restaff <laughs> and you also had a lot of this issues with the district attorneys not having enough staff you have all these retail thefts going on in, in Walnut Creek at the time and it's like the dude stayed silent on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, and, well, that's why
1: he's endorsed by all the police people. Um, I, you know, it's a misunderstanding. When P- I, First of all, there's some things being said on mailers that I, I, th- that I support defund. I've never said that. I can tell you that. I've never said that. Um, in fact, I want to make our police departments better. And um, what I mean by that is we need to invest into making sure they have adequate psychosocial support services they I as someone who has a human health background, I understand very well what our police officers are doing, go experiencing every time they go out there to you know, and what they see. They don't see the best of humanity often. They see, see, they the see worst, everybody on their worst day. On their worst day. And sometimes these are very traumatizing experiences. We need to make sure that they're staying mentally and physically healthy, um, and that they're still able to serve if they need time off leave paid leave because they're not better to do that than to put them out on the street and potentially something worse happening um i think also there has to be training we obviously know not from opinion but actual studies that show that there are some implicit bias in, in, you know incidents that happen um studies where they do like sin uh, like there's uh what's the word? There's, it's a word with S and it's not coming to me, but it's basically like they test people to see how they react. And there's clearly a disproportionate response to communities of color in these incidents, high stress incidents. And so we have to have some implicit bias and de-escalation training. Of course, that is a plus. That's great. Even as elected officials, we have to get ethics training all the time. I mean, I think it's just, it's something that people have to do on a regular basis so that they're on top of that, so that they're best in their profession. You know, it's 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 really about putting our best out there. And um, so it's contrary to what, you know, these uh, independent expenditures are trying to tell people. I'm actually trying to invest in their well-being so that they can be their best. And I also, you know, want to make sure that, there's more accountability and transparency if they are not what? able to serve. that. They, we, we do that preemptively. We don't react after the fact.
0: Well, they also investigate all the officer-involved shootings now, mm-hmm. which, which is a good thing. And, and I always tell people, well, okay, what's the problem with that? Because even though, yes, I do support law enforcement, I do think that they've been given a bad rap the last few years. For some incidents, rightfully so. Others, yeah, you guys are witch hunt. But with some of these officer-involved shootings – You've only had really one in the last five years where you actually sent a cop to jail. And the others have been um, clean shoots. And even City of Oakley, their officers last year, clean shoot. You had one in Oakley, one in Discovery Bay. And I uh, I think Richmond had one that was a clean shoot. I mean, you, the process works. If people would just chill out.
1: I think there's some concerns about them being able to report what's happening. If there is, for example, an abuse of power, right, or, you know, a misconduct, um, where can an officer, say, if they observe a fellow police officer behaving in in a way that's not professional, it's not inappropriate, it's an abuse of power, um, where can they go to report that without fearing that it's, a rep- it's Re- It might come back on that. The retaliation. Exactly. So I do think it would be helpful. But
0: that's every industry. I, I understand, industry.
1: but I, I I know. And that's why every industry needs to have what I call a quality control <laughs> department. It's a quality control issue. Um, they need to have a, 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 a somewhere where they can go and report that, if they see it, to an independent body that will not... Where they won't fear that it'll come back to bite them, and they will get fired and displaced for reporting something that has happened. There has to be justice. There has to be trans. What you were saying in the beginning. There has to be transparency. There has to be two-way communication. If we leave it where their only option is to go to the superiors, it's it's not going to happen. It. Well, look They're at the city
0: of Concord with their police department, right? Now you have four women suing the dis- or the police department. Right. For you know, various reasons. Contra Costa Sheriff's office, same thing.
1: Right. And if there had been somewhere where they could have gone sooner, earlier and reported, "Hey, the, these incidents are happening X, Y, and Z." It's it's prevention. We it, it, it's it's like it's it's about investing in prevention. We are a reactive community. It's very inefficient.
0: Well, I think the state of California is just, as a whole, the state legislators is just reactive.
1: Yeah, we have to stop working from a Band-Aid treatment pr- approach. We have to be proactive, and we have to invest in the things, in the uh, efforts that we know, whether it's health care, whether it's education, whether it's public safety. Uh, we have to approach it from a prevent- preventative approach so that long-term, We are actually getting the outcomes that we hope to get, and we have to go based on data, the science. You know, it's important to do that, Um, and so, you know that that I think is something that is a missed opportunity. So what I was saying about, you know, like for example, like I said, you know, I think what you will learn about me is one, I take chances when I when it's absolutely called for, getting that additional affordable housing. happened because yeah i stick my neck out um we were going to ha- be at 10 percent affordable i negotiated us up to with a developer to get us to 20 percent, and so um you and know those
0: numbers and that's an, the important thing for people like yeah that's one project but over the course of five to ten 20 projects you then are actually really changing the opportunity for a whole community and in the end you're actually raising people up. So then they're not a drain on the system. It's and all about lifting people up. Exactly. That's, but we've that's, forgotten that.
1: that. That's the business. I'm, I'm going to
0: keep mine. I don't really care what happens yeah. to them as long as I yeah. got mine.
1: Well, I always tell people if we think like that, I promise you, it's not going to stay that way for very long. We don't, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it matters. What happens in Antioch should matter to people in San Ramon, um, et cetera. Um, it's, it's, not an isolated situation. We all have to be invested in it. And we all, and I think that, you know, and what I have seen is from my personal experience to what I've done in my elected capacity is if we dare to step up and speak up and ask for what we actually need and fight for it, we get it. Yeah. Well,
0: and I, and I don't want to end this interview without uh, getting a couple more topics. Cause I think this one really differentiates you from your opponent and, I know not everyone's going to agree with it, but we're going to go into the whole <laughs> reproductive freedom. And I just want you to kind of share where you're at on that.
1: Um, my opponent, uh, when you say he's differentiates from me on it. Um, in Does term- he have
0: an opinion on it? <laughs>
1: uh, well, his voting record certainly is a little shoddy. Um, it's uh, definitely chop- choppy. I mean, in 2022, NARAL gave him a legislative D score, obviously, um, and he um, was, uh, which essentially put him in the category of hostile to reproductive freedom. According oh, really? To, oh, yes. Okay. Yes, so that was 2022. Um, and then in uh, for Planned Parenthood, I know in 2018 he had a 66%. 2019 he had an 80%, and then in 2022 he had a 79%. And so... Um, so a lot of people are like, and on the other hand, I am a founding advisory board member for a women's reproductive health and education, um, organization. And, you know, but granted our organization's more focused on trying to bring education so women are more empowered and able to self-advocate for their reproductive needs, all kinds of needs, you know? Um, and so, um, but, it was a little disheartening, yes, when, for what, I think, I think, I have no idea why Planned Parenthood endorsed him, um, I can't speculate, I think it would be inappropriate of me to do so, um, but I can tell you on actions and votes, um, there's only one person who's actually really been out there fighting for women, um, and I can tell you it's not just reproductive rights, he missed both votes on things that it had to do with corporate transparency and gender pay equity. He missed a vote on making sure that NDAs were not allowed in the cases of sexual harassment in the workplace for women.
0: See, that was a weird one to miss because that's a slam dunk.
1: Yeah. No, there's a lot of bills like that where it hurts women disproportionately in the workplace. Um and, um, I, 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 you know, I, since right, as let you me know, I don't take corporate money, yeah. I mean, I do, I, I think like what it is, I don't take corporate, I don't take money from interests. I should be specific interests that are hurting our community. So like oil, I won't take oil. I don't take developer money because I think we are facing a housing crisis. I want to be able to represent the yeah,
0: communities. But, but my argument there with developer money is that when you're doing a lot of these projects, mm-hmm. they're actually helping infrastructure build outs.
1: Yes. Oh no, no. There's. I'm not. Don't have anything against developers. Don't get yeah. me wrong. That's no, no. It's I'm a. Per-
0: and I know it's a personal thing not to take their money. Like I get that, but I don't think develop. I think developers have been painted really poorly for no reason.
1: Well, I think in some. Ki- I I think that they they have a legitimate argument on the affordable housing costs. That's why I was saying that the state has to play a more proactive role of helping to fund okay, affordable housing. But
0: the developers are only as good as the government entities that allow them to build. Like. We have an agency out in East County where it's like forty, fifty thousand dollars to eighty thousand dollars to hook up to freaking sewage. Yeah, like how do you make a house affordable when you have that kind of crap? Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean the hookups TG&E are gonna come e hookups.
0: Yeah. PG&E has a delay problem. Oh, and when you're nine months later, you might get it. But I, I mean, the government makes yeah. these red tape to where developers these houses should only cost a hundred grand to make, and they're at nine hundred thousand now. Like, it's right. nuts. Right. And
1: so what I want to be clear is I don't think developers are horrible people because clearly, you know, Lenara is very generous and we're, you know. They tried
0: to be generous to Concord. You me? know, and worked with <laughs> us. So
1: in in my, my situation, you know. But what I think what I'm trying to get at is that I just want to be able to really make unbiased as much unbiased as yeah. It's that science background in my brain that says, stay as unbiased as you can. Make a decision based on the facts. And I just don't want to be beholden this way or that way to another person. And don't get me wrong. I understand that, you know, um, I don't think they're the enemy. I don't think, I think that we need them. (laughs) We need them to help to build the housing. You're also going to have to
0: redevelop some of these older houses too
1: yeah yeah neighborhoods yeah but
0: but i want to go back to the the reproductive health and all that do you yeah. think the governor and the state's handling that well compared to the rest of the country because i think the extreme on each side has just gotten
1: nuts about reproductive reproductive
0: rights, rights women's health abortion uh, what's the
1: extreme part if you could specify for me
0: i mean you go what was it alabama that just passed that crazy thing
1: Oh, you mean taking away their rights yeah. completely? Yeah. And yeah, I mean that's wrong. <laughs> Clearly, I don't. But I now don't we have
0: California it. paying for the rest of the country to I mean, it's just nuts.
1: You know, I think what it is is that, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, this is a. I, I personally think it's 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 a. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a problem. It's a no-win
0: topic. I know that.
1: It's, it, no, I mean, it is a problem, but I understand why California did it. I do. I mean, I think that any woman who has to find herself in a situation, uh, having to make a decision between having or not having an abortion is not an easy decision. And then to have that compounded by the fact that you can't even get access or if you try to go get access you're going to be arrested or penalized they're for are going to search that.
0: your records. I yeah. mean, it's nuts. I mean, it's
1: wrong. It's wrong. And and that should not be happening in, in our country, period, anywhere. And so they're trying to do the right thing. California is trying to do the right f- thing in the face of the fact that there are women, you know, it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. You know, we can't just not care because it's not here. You know, they're people. Yeah. And so they're they're suffering. and so Well, you also
0: have a lot of hypocrites in the topic as well because you'll have people that are anti-abortion until it impacts their daughter. Oh, she was raped or, you know, her boyfriend's a loser. We're going to have an abortion and no one needs to know about it, right? I mean, there's a lot of hypocrites in this topic.
1: There are, and I think you know that (laughs) Grayson is one of those. (laughs) I know you asked them the question on on social media. Hey, what is a pastor doing, you know? Um well,
0: I don't think that was me. That was another publication. But
1: oh somebody did. Somebody yeah, did. somebody did. They're like, what's a pastor looking? Yeah. It was interesting. Because um, you know, the thing is, is that the reality is um pe- I personally think you know, people just deserve honesty, the sincerity. Um, I know not everybody's going to agree with everything I say, and that's fine, you know, but a, one good thing you will always get it from me is that I listen to all sides. Um, and I've learned to do that, you know, wor- working in the water district, working in San Ramon. Like I said, I've worked with people from all political ideologies. Um, and so I know how to do that. Yeah. And
0: um, so I thought your background was just like, wow, I really want to know how you came from where you were at. And I know we got in that very beginning, but I wanted to know like how you came from that dealing with the medical industry and the craziness there to getting on a water district to now city council. Now you want to make even bigger changes. It was like, wow, it's the perfect. You really did work your way up. Yeah. Despite whatever people said about you, you know, be realistic. Uh, oh, she runs for too many off Which I don't understand that argument. By That's the silly. way, it's the dumbest thing because, wow, she's ran for multiple seats. She didn't win against Glazer, but if somebody sucks at their job, don't you want somebody better there? Right. Like, right. who cares?
1: The thing is, is that and every I election's different. The thing is, is if I didn't serve and we have. People who are serving right now in Contra Costa County who never held public office, who are serving at the state and federal level, have served in that capacity without having prior political experience. And so one of the things that I know my opponent kind of tries to rail in is, oh, you know, I have all these years of experience, seven years on the legislature, and I know the newspapers have continued to try to tout that as the message, but the reality is what good is experienced if it's not good experience if you're not delivering on the bills, the initiatives that are most important to us, like the environment, like women's rights, um, and um, you know, and making sure that you know, um, you know, even with workers and with the with the chamber, he's had a very choppy background. Um, he's had really, really inconsistent scores with all of those sectors. But what that tells me. If I were a voter, is that when you're going up and down and having one year good, one year bad, with all these different sectors, it means you don't know what you actually stand for. And so that's the difference between my opponent and I. I'm very clear about that. And I and when, and when the reason, and when I talk about the community, why they are supporting me is because they know I deliver on that. Okay,
0: so let me ask the reverse of that. Is saying that you know what... You you support and what you feel, right? So then how open-minded are you to change, negotiation, working to a middle ground?
1: It's all on the facts. So, of course, if I have to modify my pre-existing understanding of something, I absolutely need to rethink it. Any, I, You know, we can't – it's not about <clears throat> being right or wrong up front, but it's about, you know, taking an issue – and looking at the facts collectively, all of the information there, making the best decision for all involved. Good policy does not disper- disproportionately hurt any particular group. Yeah,
0: and that's what bothers me about some of these legislators. They just they don't budge on their opinions. They won't even negotiate, and that's and that's more of a D.C. thing than here locally. But in the state, you do have a lot of these legislators that are finally terming out that just will not budge on their issues. And the Public Safety Committee just drives me nuts the last few years. You've had some education problems where they're not even budging to make education better for everybody. They're doing the opposite. It's bizarre to me. Like, why wouldn't, like, I truly believe that, and I don't even know the number, let's just say 80% of Democrats and Republicans, we all want the same damn things. We do. We really do. do. But we're so focused on that 20% difference. And it's like, I can't talk to you. Oh, I'm not your friend anymore. Oh, we don't want to negotiate. Yeah, you you got to, how do we stop that?
1: We have to move beyond political ideologies and work on the merits of the whatever, what we're looking at. That's a reality. We have to work, We ha- and you know, occasionally there will be just simple disagreement. It's okay. But there has to be, a mutual respect a professionalism exercised and um like I said from the outset I look at I just that it, it's always going to, my decisions will always be driven by the data and if I have to explain well to according
0: somebody, to the data 22% of congress is that's their approval rating yeah so why would you even want not you but why would you even <laughs> want the endorsement of a congressperson these days
1: yeah i mean i think <laughs> i think i think what i was able to prove and when I like when I ran for the city council and won by over 64 percent of the vote
0: that's right you did have a big a oh big yeah. win.
1: oh yeah a big win and um you know and that and we only have 47 percent democrat so that other you know assuming 47 percent came out to vote of all democrats right there's still a good chunk that came from somewhere else Second highest being independent voters, yeah. NPP, a decline to state voters. Um, so what I'm saying is, when you put forward good policy, you know, it, it's it's never about it's not about politics. It's about policy that actually works. That's backed by the science. That's backed by the research. That's backed by you know, at the end of the day, that's proven to 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 be give the results that we we ex- uh, want. And we have to get lot of this sort of in between graying of policy out of their way and have much clearer vision of what we're trying to do and get it done and so um you know talking about for example like i mean you know so let me tell you something about what may happen when you talk tell to me, me about me. developers and cor- you know why are developers bad I, they're not bad but what happened in the case of my opponent with Lennar in 2015 when he was running for assembly? he I think he was bu- caught taking about $16,800 from entities associated with Lennar who ultimately got the contribution for the Concord Naval Weapons Station.
0: A huge conflict of interest. <laughs> um, and and here you are nine years later with nothing done. Yeah. <laughs> Not spur- <laughs> sorry, so, Concord.
1: Sorry. So so what I'm saying is is that you know, that's the kind of thing where I, s- I'm t- when I talk about, okay, why I'm not, I'm staying away from that. It's not that I hate developers. I don't hate developers. But I certainly, I want to make sure that I can stay unbiased and do my work. And otherwise, if, if I just wanted to become a pawn to someone, honestly, I wouldn't do this.
0: Okay, so then <laughs> what about the oil companies? You do, You obviously, I don't want to say biased against them. I'm not but biased
1: against but why them, don't you want their money? I don't want oil right right now. I think the oil industry has been talking for a long time about going to hydrogen-based fuel, um, and what I'd like to see them do is hurry it up. <laughs> <laughs> Technology hasn't caught up yet, though. Ex- well, you know, we need to start laying the infrastructure for that. You know, we we have it's not going to happen if there's no infrastructure. And this is the thing I've been trying to tell, I've, even in my environmental groups. I'm on the executive board for Sierra Club. I work. I, I'm also helping on the national and state council for the elected officials to protect America, which is EOPA, works on environmental initiatives. But I've told him, I said, we have to work in collaboration with the workers. You know, first and foremost, they're my biggest concern because when we make that transition, where are they going to go? So that is why I'm actually, I helped pilot a uh, labor climate uh, Contra Costa uh, buildings and construction trades council labor climate task force in, in in conjunction with UC Berkeley labor center, as well as working with environmental groups. I was representing, I was the co-chair of this uh, task force um, that was still in existence. We just, kind of everybody's a little bit busy in this last year, but um, what we're doing is laying the groundwork for policies to help uh, fossil fuel workers transition to clean, renewable jobs and how that happened. Anything from apprenticeship programs, yeah. how can they be a part of helping uh, working with cities and making sure we're plugging them into jobs, these jobs to help the infrastructure begin and to that, be laid down. And that should be the goal. And, and that, and that, that right, again, and I did all of this – voluntarily nobody's paying me i did it because i care and i did it and we're now that that policy that i laid the groundwork with in conjunction with my fellow vice chair i mean co-chair in this task force is now being brought forward to the county and the county is working on it at a county level our whole point was to pilot this and to hopefully eventually get it across the Bay Area. But certainly we're going to have to have the oil industry be partners in this. I mean, we're going to need them to to be uh, work in conjunction with workers and renewable energy initiatives to make sure that it is a seamless transition.
0: But what's crazy to me is the goal is move to green technology and energy, right? But you have this is a national issue but you have the united states the biggest producer now in oil and you're going to have 13 million barrels this year it's estimated 15 billion and uh, 15 million next year like i, I thought the goal is to move away exactly <laughs> but i know then we have california natural gas where we're paying 80 cents more or 80% more because we don't want to you know, you know, have our own. So we're importing it all. So It's just a screwy issue to me, and I don't understand why it has to be so screwy. Like, we're not, the technology's out there. Let's get to it. But in the meantime, now you've made our prices go up. doesn't make sense to me.
1: That's why it's important to do it with enough time and get underway. You can't do it overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. Nothing happened. Nothing of this magnitude happens overnight. And the thing is, I agree. I think we're not doing enough to get the ball rolling. And if we're serious about making that transition, uh, we need to see we need to see some 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 how shall I say, meat on
0: the bone. But I will say I will not budge on the gas stove thing. <laughs> that thing I just who the hell wants to cook on an electric stove?
1: Well, that's when I'm stuck.
0: I cook with an electric stove, but But it's not as good. <laughs> Um, all right. So any final thoughts, anything you want to bring up before we close this out?
1: Um, you know, topics
0: we missed. I know we've kind of been all over the map.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for introduction, this is quite an introduction. Um, so I think, you know, um, I think, you know, we covered a lot of important issues. We covered, uh, senior rights. We talk about, um, we talked about disability rights, women's rights, um, the environment how are we going to budget and finance all this actually showing
0: actually showing up to vote
1: showing up to vote is really important (laughs) i'm asking voters please 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 go out to vote you know and i always tell people you know my approach always has been i try to give information to voters my goal is to give the voters the information let them decide and um because they know what they want and so um and i think that the one nice thing about what everything that i've been advocating for that i say that i stand for i've done it in some capacity i've shown my commitment to that whether it was on affordable housing pushing for that whether it was for, like i said all these issues that we just talked about i'm doing it already and i did a lot of it out of my free th-
0: really not free time. Oh, we all know electeds work for under minimum wage (laughs) with all the hours.
1: I wasn't getting paid um, for that. Those some of a lot of these initiatives, I was not paid. I did it because it's something. It's a passion, passion. passion. and and that is why I'm here. I'm here because I believe that I can make fundamental change. I can get us back on track. And and I'm a person who will hold us hold our elected officials accountable. I'm not shy about it. Most people know I'm not a. I'm not a shy person. I will speak the truth if I have to, but it's always the people because they elected me. They're the ones who put me here. I get that, and I never forget that when I'm in office.
0: Well, I look forward to just how this race is going to play out because, it's one, it's funny that they're sending out mailers on something you guys are already going to go to the fall for. That's funny to me, waste of money. But, I mean, it's such a, a bizarre... S-shaped district from San, Alameda County, basically, up to Antioch-Brentwood. And and I'm curious to see how people react to you because, I, like I said, I didn't know much about you. I know a lot of East County probably doesn't know a lot about you. And hopefully this is kind of a nice introduction because now, come fall, we could go a little deeper into a lot of the bills, the issues. But I think it was important not to do that this time but rather, people get to know kind of how you think and your thought process.
1: Yeah, I think that was really important. I think for people to un- get a sense of how I operate and how I make decisions and what my motivations are in this race. Um, and you know, if they have any more questions, I encourage them please to go to my website, which is at Marisol4ca.com. It's spelled out F-O-R-C-A.com. Um, and, uh, they can also, uh, find there a way to call me or email me. And yes, everybody gets shocked. They're like, you answer your phone. I'm like, of course I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. I want to make sure I get, they get the answer straight from me. And, um, you know, that's all part of the transparency factor that I have been talking about for the past hour or so with you. And um, I just really, you know... Uh, hope people know that um, I'm coming into space with from a very personal experience and and wanting to improve the lives of many people. Um, many of those have been, you know one of the things like you mentioned earlier, there' are some people like, well, why are they worried if she runs for this officer?" I said, my, at the end of the day, my goal is to help as many people as possible. yeah and well, and, and, and and they're suffering today. Imagine telling someone who can barely make rent or buy food, Telling them, why don't you wait four more years so we feel more comfortable?
0: Be realistic. Go move somewhere (laughs) where you can afford. The word
1: realistic. Oh Lord.
0: Um, (laughs) But I do want to point people out to a section in your website that basically under the about me, there's the journey and activism and action, and there's a lot of good media on there that they could get to know you even better and what you've done. Yep. I've been out
1: on the ground. That's what I was saying. So
0: my whole goal this this election is just learn the candidates and pick who's best for you because Mm -hmm. I could. I could tell you who to vote for, but realistically, y'all need to do your own research. Yeah. So, oh, thank um, Marisol, thank you so much for coming in. Uh, good luck thank with San Ramon. I know you guys have a, you know, one of the things you didn't mention is you guys know how to throw a good St. Patrick's Day party.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we have good celebrations. We had a light parade. Oh yeah, it's getting bigger. The city since the city is growing, we're almost oh you know at uh, eighty five thousand uh, residents. Um, but we had a light parade that was amazing. We have the Christina y- uh, Yamaguchi the ice rink's ice crazy. Rink. Yeah, it's 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 a wonderful field wonder- works. Field works uh, is field down there. Fieldworks is good. You know, and I, I honestly like I th- you know I I think what's really the the You know, kind of the interesting set of skills and insight that I'm bringing is kind of bringing in what I've learned, what works in San Ramon and what makes San Ramon, you know, an exceptional city in many ways. Um, but also understanding from a very personal level what can uh, lead to some of the outcomes that are happening in other cities in our district and how we can improve that. And I think we need a representative that is for all the people, not just some people.
0: Well, I think also the nice thing about San Ramon is a lot of things you guys do, there's a lot of buy-in. It's not just ramming down new stuff to the whole community.
1: Oh, we always engage the community. I mean, if we're going to do something, we absolutely get a pulse from the community first. And, you know, even with a a climate task force, like I said, it was something the community had been wanting for three years before I, uh, you know, came into office. And and I I picked it up and, and, you know, ran with it and delivered it for them something they've been wanting for a long time. And there's a lot of excitement now. And we want to keep the, this is part of keeping the community engaged. The city needs to, cities also, the state, the state state needs to listen. The state and the cities, (laughs) everybody has to do their part, keep their ear to the ground, listen, be in touch on a regular basis, get the pulse of the community and, and be responsive.
0: 100%. So with that, I know we've gone 90 minutes. Um, (laughs) So for everyone, uh, Marisol for California, or Marisol4CA.com, for spelled out. Uh, I just want to thank you again. I look forward to a deeper dive later in the year uh, when the real silly season gets crazy. Um, It'll be fun. For everyone else, do me a favor, hit like, subscribe, and share, and visit me at ContraCosta.news. I will see you next time. Take care.